All right, we're on the way up from 12 attendees to 15. See, we're, we're getting there. All right. Um, who knows, next week, buck the trend and just overflow. That's right. Um, just so you know, that clock is wrong. Uh, really wrong, actually. Um, and we need to be out of the room at a quarter till, not just kind of hanging out. Uh, we got, got slapped on the wrist last week because we were done, but we were still here. So just so you know, we got to give room, for, room time for them to disinfect all of your cooties. So we need to get rid of all of your cooties. So that's what needs to happen. Uh, as we talked about last week, we're going to now enter into what's called the Great Galilean Ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, we did a blitzkrieg of all of the lessons up till when we had to stop. We did that last week and left off with the woman at the well, Jesus going through Samaria. And there's a lot of ways we could start and, and do now this ministry. I'm going to pick representative episodes and things from the ministry of Christ. You know, I could have started with uh, Jesus giving the deeper call to Peter and Andrew and John, but we've already looked at their initial call, um, and we could have done, you know, started with Luke's episode um, of Jesus being rejected by his own people. We're going to look at that later, however, because it seems that Luke places it earlier to, to, to emphasize something, but we'll, we're going to look at that episode later. So what I've done is taken a passage where we're kind of like where Mark starts. Uh, he just jumps right in, and this is a parallel passage from Mark. Luke provides some details that I wanted us to look at. Um, but Mark gives a few other details that Luke doesn't, but uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it because we know that Jesus has come to establish the kingdom, and he, he's, he's got a mission to accomplish. And, and part of that mission is the Creator coming into His creation and now setting things right. Remember, it's a fallen creation. It's a good creation, but it's fallen. And it's now under the power of the Prince of the Power of the Air, and and there's disease, and there's all these things that are happening. And we see in this initial episode of Jesus beginning his ministry, him writing these right off the bat. It's an intriguing um, look, though, because it happens on the Sabbath, and it starts in a synagogue. And we're going to see that there is a, a, a demon-possessed man at the synagogue service. I'll leave you to just think about that for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, the, the devil never misses church. Um, so uh, there's a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. And then, of course, it's still the Sabbath. And even though it's the Sabbath and it's the synagogue and Jesus is there, there's still disease. And we're going to see Jesus in his ministry and in his role as the creator now in the flesh, coming to his creation, redeeming, beginning the process of seeing heaven I mean, seeing heavenness come on earth, his will, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we're going to do. That's, that's kind of our initial look at him launching uh, his ministry. Now, we, we find him coming to Capernaum. That's, that's a, it, it means the village of Nahum, but we don't know which Nahum we're talking about. But it's Capernaum, and it's a, it's a fishing village on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, of the lake itself. And it seems that Peter has since married, I mean, he's married, he, we, we heard earlier that he was from Bethsaida, but now he's married, and he has started his fishing business here in Capernaum. 
And Jesus sets up sort of a base, if you want to think of it that way. Now, he's, he's, he's traveling a lot, but he sets up his base here. And we'll see him set it up here in Capernaum. So we're going to start with the episode in the synagogue. And we'll begin with verses 31 through 37. So someone read those aloud for us. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed, and they said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Next slide moved closer so the mic was there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Reading over your shoulder. All right. Um, let's answer the question right, right off the bat about demons, right, and demon possession. And it seems that with the, the earthly ministry of Jesus, we see this spike in demon possession. Throughout the Old Testament, there's very little of that. And then after the Gospels, we, we hear very little about that. And it's not something that you and I necessarily are looking for either. That's not to say it doesn't happen. But you see in Scripture, uh, in, in the in Gospels especially, and in the Synoptics especially, especially, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a real emphasis on this cosmic warfare, um, the, the, the enemy, the Satan, the, the deceiver, and his minions, his, his followers, coming to the forefront and manifesting themselves in possessing people and using people as their mouthpiece. Um, and a lot of people are embarrassed by that. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're post-enlightenment scientific age people, and, and a lot of folks are embarrassed by this. But it is striking, and I want us to, to not be embarrassed because we see this spike because you have God in the flesh on the earth. So you see the enemy, who of course is nowhere near an equal to God, but the enemy enfleshing himself through his minions with these confrontations. Because as this demon rightly says, as he knows, Jesus has come to destroy them. Now that's not his primary, or his own, that's not his only mission, but that's part of it, to destroy them. So you have this real escalation of these types of episodes. And then once Jesus ascends, and you see the church and the ministry continuing, you hear less and less about it. I do know, however, that a lot of missionaries who go into very dark areas that are, that are oppressed by, by what we would call demonic forces still see this quite a bit. Um, we, however, in our enlightened West, of course, have grown to be on such things. But God help us when we don't realize there's a real war going on. 
and God help us when we don't realize Jesus is one, okay? These are the death throes of, of the enemy. So with that perspective, uh, let's now examine this particular episode. Now they're in the synagogue. That's crazy. I wonder if they knew. Did people know? I mean, we don't ask that, right? I mean, do, do people know that this guy was possessed? Or was this sort of latent? No one knew? Did he just have a bad attitude? We don't know. <laughs> you know, you're, now you're thinking, hmm. <laughs> you know, you know again, um, I think I know some. You know, uh, you know and that's not to make it, well, I was making light of it, sorry. <laughs> that is to make light of it. But, but that's one of the questions when you read this, go, well, wow, I wonder what they thought when this happened. Or did this guy just come in? Uh, we're not told that, right? We're, we're not told, um, but it is in the synagogue service that this happens. So right away, there's sort of a tacit sort of, um, sort of condemnation of what's been going on in the synagogues, too. It, it, now, not, oblique, not overt, but again, the, you know, the true biblical, spiritual, nature of being God's people is going to blow away a lot of the ritual and the things that have been happening thus far. And here we see it happen in a synagogue. First off, though, he delivers a message. He teaches from the Torah. He's asked as a teacher to speak, and he speaks from the Torah, and that alone messes people up. We read in verse uh, 32 that they were amazed at his teaching because his message was with authority. Now that's not just because he had rhetorical flourish, okay? It's not that he was, you know, beating the pulpit or those sorts of things. It's because he spoke the simple truth of the, to them about the nature of the kingdom of God. You see, you would, you would be used to hearing your teachers and scribes exposit a piece of scripture by, by quoting from authorities. Well, this particular rabbi says this about this, as opposed to this particular scribe who says this about this. But that's not to say that rabbi so-and-so also said this. And it's a, it's a round and round and round appeal to authorities. And people got used to just going, hearing basically the rabbi help them understand the various discussions that have happened throughout the years about that passage. Jesus, however, as the one with the authority, speaks with it. And that shocks them. He just tells them how it is. We're not told what he says, right? We're not, we're not given what he has said, but he speaks with this authority. Later, um, the people say, what is this word? And that's the term logos. What is this word that he speaks? It's, it has this, not only did it amaze us, it has the power to rebuke demons and they come out. What is this? So there's real authority in how he teaches and how he speaks. And they're amazed by that. And because he is the one speaking with that authority, and because demons are often better theologians than the rest of us, this demon pronounces truth. He says, you are the Holy One of God. In fact, it's interesting that, I don't know how many of your Bibles have, in verse 34, begin with just an exclamation of some sort. Ha! Like, ha! 
Well, it's interesting in the, in the Greek, it is kind of how, that's what it is. It's just there. Yeah. <laughs> now, in, in some classical texts, it's just a cry of exclamation. But it could be that is the imperative of leave me alone. You know, just go away, leave me alone. Um, let us alone, really. It's, it's plural if that's the case. So some, some translations start with let us alone with that, that exclamation, that cry. But he says, why are you all up in our business? What do we have to do with you? And that's, why, why are you up, what, what are you doing? Why are you up in our business? And it's, there's, there's actually a little, not just indignity, you know, like he's not, the, the demon through the person is not just being indignant. There is fear there. Why, why are you doing this, Jesus of Nazareth? You have come to destroy us. Some will have a question there, a question mark. By the way, that's up to the editors and translators as to whether that's a question or a statement. I choose to translate it as a statement. You have come to destroy us. I don't think he's asking. I think he's fearful because he knows. The demons know. And by the way, that happens in a lot of Greek. It's up to your translators and editors just to figure out, is this a question, is this a statement, those kind of things. And by the way, it, could, it fits either way, but I think there's more impact if, if there is a real statement there that you've come to destroy us. And then, I know who you are. And then he says, you are the Holy One of God. Intriguing. Two other times in the New Testament do we find this. It's not, it's not a prophetic statement about Christ in the Old Testament. There's three times in your New Testament that this phrase is used of Jesus. Twice it's used that the demon is saying it. Here and in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1, it's the same phrase. The other time is in John 6 where Peter, in his confession, in John's recounting of Peter's confession, Peter says, you are the Holy One of God. So it's intriguing that we have this, this, this title that has come now from the enemy, and that because the enemy knows the truth. In fact, that recounts us in James, right? James saying the demons believe and they shudder. Yeah, they, they know the truth. I did a lesson last year, pre-COVID, with the students in our assembly, what many people would call a chapel, we don't always have chapel, but it's, it feels like that, um, in which I challenged them to at least rise to the level of faith of a demon. <laughs> I mean, they believe, and it affects them, whereas a lot of people go through life saying, I believe, and it makes no difference. Now, of course, I had to unpack that a little bit for them, you know, lest they get the wrong idea, but here is, notice though, faith without attendant, and as James also says, works. In other words, repentance and those kinds of things, that's worthless. But here we see it. So this demon knows, you have come to destroy us, and you are the Holy One of God. And now Jesus rebukes the demon saying, and I love it, it's just so subtle. Be quiet. Come out of it. It's like when he steals and calms the sea, right? Just, shh. Yeah, not, 
not be In other words, that's what's amazing to them is that he doesn't go through all of the incantations and and try to you know to, and, and try to uh, tap into higher powers. What they've seen of exorcisms through the Jewish exorcists is just that. A lot of ritual, a lot of incantation, a lot of things like that. Whereas he just says, shut up and go. And bam, it happens. That too is that word of authority. What shocked them about his message now more shocks them about the authority behind that message because they even say, what is this? With authority and power, he commands unclean spirits, and they just come out. And Luke adds, for our benefit as a physician, that when the demon left, there was no harm to the man. Because in the parallel account in Mark, there seems to be a little bit of violence, violence that happens, convulsions, those sorts of things. But Luke makes sure we know, but he's, he's all right. Which is crazy. Um... And again, we wish for more, right? We want to know, oh, I want to learn more of the setting, and I want to know what he said, and I want to know, did he know this guy? But what we see right away as Jesus starts this ministry is the, is the world being made new, which is the mission of the Messiah. And we see it. Now, naturally, this report went out. People started hearing about it after they left the synagogue. And we're going to see that not only does the word get out, there's going to be some stuff happen because the word gets out. People are going to come. Well, just like us, after church, you go to lunch. Right? So, they go to lunch. Now, the, the difference is, for, for, for these Orthodox, these practicing Jews, they've made the meal beforehand because this is the Sabbath. You can't work. So, they go to Peter's Peter's mother-in-law, you know, so they go to Peter's house, uh, and entered Simon's home, and his mother-in-law is there. So what do you know about Peter? Married. He's married. There you go. People, what, were they married? Mother-in-law. There you go. So yes. Uh, Luke, I mean, uh, Mark adds that it's uh, Andrew's there too. They're brothers. Um, and remember, he set up base. This is his home in Capernaum for his fishing business. And now we're going to see what happens at his home. And it's here we're going to have disease, the second part of our outline, disease on the Sabbath. So someone read that aloud for us. 38 and take us through the end of the chapter. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. 
All right. So he left. He's coming to Simon's house. Finds out mother-in-law has a high fever. Now this is again Luke adding a little bit of, of medical terminology. They they did have they had, you had two types of fevers. You had a low, you had a low fever, or a small fever, or a high fever. Uh, and Luke is trying to emphasize here that this you know she just didn't have a headache and a little. I mean she was sick. Okay, uh, that's where we get. Uh, you can hear the word her, the, the megalos megalos. Here, mega, mega fever. And of course, the small fever is micros or micros, small micro. Um, so, anyway, um, she has a high fever, and they ask him to help her. So he does. Um, and notice the same word as you see, he rebukes the fever. Just as demonic activity is unnatural and, and, and not meant to be a part of this world, so is disease. That's why one day the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more disease. Now, we accept it as a natural part of this fallen world. We don't like it, but we expect it. Uh, second law of thermodynamics, things tend towards disorder, and that's our bodies as well and disease is a part of that. But notice it's, there's a rebuking of disease. It's not just, and he healed her, he rebukes the fever. As he rebuked the demon, this is not right. And we're gonna make things right. In other words, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intimation of what is yet to come with the new heavens and new earth. Rebuking disease. But notice, it's the Sabbath, it's Jesus, it's, you know, and there's still disease. It's a fallen world. And he's setting it right with just this one thing. And I love, <laughs> I mean, it's immediate, right? You know, you have had a fever, you're usually, you get over that. It still takes a while. You know, your body's exhausted and it's hard to get energy back and there's achiness and it takes a while for your, she's up, ready to go. Sorry, ladies. Uh, and she waited on them. <laughs> Good for her. You know. Okay, okay. That's. I don't think we're supposed to see a roll there. <laughs> I think what we're supposed to see, and I, I hope anyway, is that there, first of all, the immediacy of the healing and second of all the response to this right there's 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 gratitude and there's service which should be with all of us right we should respond in all of these things with with joyful service uh, now we aren't told however that Simon's wife helps so I don't know about that one <laughs> anyway maybe some little intrigue going on there and then we read after this remember word had gone out already and it's the sabbath can't do work on the sabbath although jesus has already done that by healing and rebuking and that's going to that's going to get out right and that's him overturning again the sabbath and what it means you know remember the the, the sabbath is for us not us for the sabbath that's going to be that's him slowly doing that but word's gone out and now that the sun is setting that means the sabbath is over the next day is beginning then the people come 
Because now they can bring, they can carry people who are lame or are sick. They can bring them to, to Jesus. And not only that, there is also, again, we're told, multiple people who, who are demon-possessed are freed of this captivity. And again, we don't know if they knew they were demon-possessed or suddenly spontaneous. Some of those people started being the mouthpieces of demons. We, we don't know that. But what's interesting is that a lot of folks will say, well, demon possession is just a, it's, it's just people in the ancient world not understanding illness and why people get sick. And they would see perhaps convulsions or some things as just demonic possession because they didn't know any better. Whereas Luke makes sure we understand there's a separation. Jesus is healing sick people and casting demons out of possessed people. And it's not the same. So we, we, we're grateful that Luke has that background to help us to see that we're actually the anachronistic ones. We're throwing back our prejudice on the ancient world as if they didn't have the common sense that we do. Because we have microwave ovens and refrigerators, we think we're smarter. We just have gadgets. We're probably dumber, actually, in many ways. Yes, less skilled and less wise in many, many ways. We have a gadget that can tell us the answer to any question, and we walk away just as dumb as before. We haven't gained any wisdom or knowledge. It's like GPS, right? You can get anywhere and have no clue where you are. They knew where they were. We can get there really cool. Where are you? I've broken down. Where are you? I don't know. On the thing, it says this dot. Right. Well, anyway, that's an aside. Whoop. That was for teenagers. All right. Um, so he, these demons, however, coming out. And notice the touch, though. Jesus touches the people, too, which in our COVID times, oh, you know, just the human touch. You should try to keep teenagers apart, by the way. We're back in school, and they're all wearing their masks, and we've got them distanced in the classroom. But out, out in the board, we're, fortunately, we're out outdoor campus. There's no hallways. And it's impossible. We're just not made. They're not made for isolation. Uh, we just, I just gave up. So if you, keep your mask on. Don't touch each other, but sheesh. What the heck? You know, the student sections at ball games. Still the student sections at ball games just got masks on. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, they cry out, you are the son of God. Notice they're, they're saying exactly what God revealed at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. You are the son of God. And Jesus rebukes them and, and shuts them up. And, of course, our question would be, why? Why would, why would he want to shut them up? Why not let them proclaim, you know? There's a lot, of, a lot of different explanations for it, and there's probably a little bit of truth in all of them. Uh, one is some people would say he's not going to accept, like the temptation in the wilderness, where the, where, where the Satan tells him, well, if you are God's son, and here you have demons proclaiming the son, he doesn't want that from them. He's not going to listen to it from them. Uh, another would be, it's still early in his ministry. And... To truly follow the Messiah and the Christ involves following him to the cross, and that's not there yet. His full Messiahship is revealed in the cross and the resurrection, and he's not there yet. There's also a danger of events moving too quickly, perhaps, you know, word getting out, those kinds of things. Um, 
In other words, there's a, there's a lot going on here. But early on, he rebukes them. He even tells his disciples to keep it on the down low because he knows how people are, right? In fact, how are they? He leaves. I mean, what a night. What a, what a Sabbath. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be? Um, remember, he's fully human. He gets tired. Um, and here he has been ministering to people and, and, and using his authority. And Wow, how exhausting. So he goes away. He leaves. Uh, Mark tells us he goes out to pray. Um, but people find him. They, 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 they come out. So the day came, he departed, uh, went to a lonely place. Multitudes searching, came to him, tried to keep him. See, already, right? He, already they're like, well, and, and because he knows, it's not necessarily because they f- understand fully that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one, that he's the son of God, that he's the holy one of God. It's more that you do all these cool things. That's cool. Stay with us. This is so this is so amazing. And, of course, Jesus mildly rebukes them. It's not, you don't get it. He doesn't do that. It's still pretty early. He, he knows. Remember, we've already been told in John that we know, he knows what is in a man. So, he just mildly rebukes us. Look, I've got to go other places. There are other people that need to hear my message. I'm going to go other places. I've got to go to other cities. That's why I've been sent. Now, he's going to have to tell them over and over and over, but it's the mild rebuke. What I want us to get, however, from this is that here you have synagogue and Sabbath, seemingly these sacrosanct times, and you have the fall jading them all, disease on the Sabbath, demon in the synagogue, and you have Jesus beginning his ministry, making things right, turning what has been upside down, right side up, the beginnings of seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Cool stuff. And they're going to kick us out. Let's pray. Thanks again, Father, for us being able to be together and uh, study your word. Uh, We know we're made for that. We're made to be together. We're made to... uh, we're made to feed on your word and be able to do that together again is, is a blessing. Pray that we never take that for granted. We pray for those who are not here with us, those who perhaps are listening to this podcast. Uh, pray for them as well, and we look forward to the day when they can rejoin us. Whether here or there, however, uh, we know that you have given us a task, and even though we live in times that have seemed to isolate us all, there are ways that we too can bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Give us wisdom to know how to do that, to turn that which is upside down, right side up again. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.